0: Welcome to the Backyard Professor videos. I am going to share with you again more of Terrell Givens ideas. This is out of his 2015 book Wrestling the Angel. It is his section called The Revealer God. Now the issue that I want to discuss today is how Mormonism has changed the nature of what revelation is and who can get it yeah Uh, the stance actually that we have today has unfortunately developed much more into a psychological manipulation rather than uh, inspiration and an encouragement for us yes they tell you yes get your own testimony and all that but the corporation and that's how they refer to themselves the corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints they're a business they're in the business to make a boatload of money and they've done it hundreds of billions of dollars so let's not hide that uh, behind the fact imagining that's wicked to postulate that because that's not a postulation that's actual knowledge now they are required by law to open up their investment information to them and why does the church need to invest in money if it's Jesus's church who actually made the universe and can create gold I have no idea they of course will find some way to manipulate the record to convince you that it's spiritually fine (laughs) boy their cheap pipe pop psychology never ceases to amaze me Carol Givens shows some historical background now rather than give you the small little glass of milk for this particular meal I'm going to give you a hamburger and french fries and I'm going to give you a milkshake as well. Uh, He does go into some historic background that's probably pretty important that lays the groundwork for an interesting ability for us to see the shift of emphasis on this idea of revelation which these days simply does not exist but they don't want you to know that so they hide that fact with very clever adroit rhetoric yeah and so that that is what I want to show but there is a historic background to show so Tarot Givens let's get on with it page 76 so english families in the 16th century an offshoot of the anabaptists Now notice it's the 16th century in uh colonial america see the mormons watching they think there was an apostasy for 1700 years there was no revelation there was no truth, there was no authority, etc. You have to have priesthood to have visions, etc. And yet, here we find the Anabaptists claiming immediate revelation. And in, and in the 17th century French prophets, the Commissards, they claimed they heard the voice of God. So did Anne Hutchinson in colonial America. And she suffered banishment because of her claim. And when they asked her, Well, how do you know it was the Spirit? She said, well, how did Abraham know it was the voice of God to command him to offer up his son, right? And so it goes. Unfortunately for Hutchinson, as her biographer notes, the verdict revealed that she professed direct revelation from God was an ecclesiastical crime. Now, before you roll your eyes, this is the same crime that Denver Snuffer has been condemned with by Mormonism, right? He claims he had revelation and his is different from the church and they've excommunicated him and they blackballed him. So this tension between the individual mystic shaman figure and the bureaucracy of the church has always existed. We're never going to get away from that. and. Even in Mormonism, we have that problem. But where did that pressure stem from? Because we have it on historic record that Joseph Smith wanted everyone to be prophets and apostles. So let's keep looking into the historical record, shall we? The history of Christianity, Gibbon says, reveals a consistent inverse relationship between a religious group's majority status and its championing of personal revelation. In Hutchinson's case, the fear of the authorities was that her claim to personal revelation was a form of antimonianism. That is, it made obedience to moral as well as civil laws subordinate to personal conscience, as shaped by direct revelation from God. The irony is noted that in her case it showed what was once a Protestant orthodoxy when the Puritans were a persecuted minority in England contending with the episcopacy had become a heresy when they were the majority in control of the bureaucratic government and churches of New England. Isn't that interesting? What a shift, right? the corporate decision and not the individuals is what came to matter that's what became important was the corporate decision not the individual once they had acquired power now this has a very beautiful parallel in Joseph Smith's day there's no question and Givens does note that so more on page 77 with the Quakers for instance For them, the ground of faith must be the testimony of the Spirit within, divine inward revelations from God. Now, this was the Quakers. Not coincidentally, of course, the Quakers were viewed as subversive. Oh, sure, absolutely. They were a dangerous sect because of that. So... The synthesis is inherently unstable because they recognize the necessity to be able to distinguish true revelations from false revelations. And they asserted that true revelations will conform to the scripture as a guide. But now this is a problem because belief in personal revelation that God would dispense knowledge of truth to each individual in extra-canonical ways would seem to suggest that either the revelation's redundancy is occurring or else the scripture itself is insufficient. Very interesting here, isn't it? The inevitable consequence is that in this case The Quakers undermined the very concept of the canon of the Bible or in order to weaken its control over a person's inner light. Yes, the scriptures are okay, but my personal revelation takes priority over the scriptures and that caused tension in the Quakers. We'll find it also caused contention and tension within early Mormonism and especially right now, today. So the dangers of extra scriptural revelation seemed everywhere apparent in the 19th century in a number of ill-fated contemporary movements led by charismatic prophets. There were several attempts at this type of thinking. Another proof of revelations simultaneous appeal and anarchic potential he's saying this on page 78 this is an interesting approach to this isn't it anarchic potential is the example of the american transcendentalists the movement grew rapidly in the 1830s and organized around a central principle that principle was man has ideas that come not through the five senses or the power of reasoning but rather result from direct revelation from God or from His immediate inspiration. Sounds like Joseph Smith, doesn't it? Yeah. Same stuff. To these views was added a universal a universal law of access of all people to that inspiration. The point that revelation should be available to all in a dec- democratizing aspect of religion. These transcendentalists, shared the goal of unmooring revelation from the church and bringing everyone to the mountaintop in the early 19th century an era dominated by millennial expectations of course and hopes may many looked to new revelation not for fresh knowledge or personal edification, but for the affirmation, this is what they're looking for. They want to know that God affirms he has spoken and he is acting in preparation for his son's return. The air was thick with rumors of a new religion, a new Bible. Writers, won, writers of the Campbellite movement also expressed this particular view. In addition to the Quakers and the Hicksites, the Swedenborgians, as well as native and African-American religions, they all shared this same goal of democratizing or personalizing Revelation. So this is the background, this is the history with which Mormonism appeared as something both novel and yet entirely familiar. And the idea here is Smith's personal claim in his 1830 theophany, in his 1820 theophany, the first vision, and then later in 1830, starting the church, of course. And he had the series of angelic revelations with uh, Moroni in the 1820s, leading up to the organization of the church. Over the next several years, has numerous contemporary parallels. See, this is something you won't learn in church. This is why uh, Givens' narrative is fleshing out some of the not-so-useful truths that Boyd K. Packer didn't like. He didn't like actual truth in history. He wanted a faith-promoting fluff, pablum, and lie. And uh, so Givens is doing a good thing here. He's giving us the further light and knowledge that Father promised that the church keeps away from us in 1830 his claims took on a more concrete form however and yet at the same time it was destabilizing now this is remarkably interesting the twin concepts of personal revelation and an open canon right? these intersected with the publication of course of the new scripture the Book of Mormon in 1830 Smith's 1820 experience of seeking God and finding Him rewarded with a personal visitation had found reaffirmation in 1823 when he was further praying and the angel kept coming to him and revealed to him the Book of Mormon, right? Yeah. So the Book of Mormon, however, interestingly, made a far greater impact through the story of its origins and productions rather than anything it actually taught. It really didn't bring forth much new scripture at all. It was just more or less like the Bible, is how they've come to understand the Book of Mormon. Uh, Basically, what made Mormonism more than a Protestant sect was the way the Book of Mormon came about, right? Adherents and opponents almost universally saw in the Book of Mormon echoes of familiar New Testament teachings. Of course, that's because that's where Joseph Smith got them. (laughs) The most important religious principle the Book of Mormon conveyed was a point of text enacted as well as explicitly taught. And that's important. God's highly personal involvement in human life. That's what everyone is looking for, right? Yeah. His revelations and responses to individual prayer in a manner that might be called a dialogue revelation between God and man, yeah. Through thematic structure, numerous textual examples, and a final concluding instance of reader's invitation, the Book of Mormon hammers home the insistent message that God will personally deign to reply to the lowliest seeker of truth. Now, Gibbons says on page 80, As surely as the Catholic Church grounded its claims on authority on the rock of Peter, so Mormonism did on the grounds of its own personal revelation. In fact, Joseph Smith insisted that the rock Jesus referred to in the exchange reported by Matthew was the rock of revelation. Take away the Book of Mormon and our revelations, and we have no religion, Joseph Smith said. In Mormonism's first generation now, revelation was frequently understood in just those dramatic terms that the Book of Mormon described and that Joseph Smith himself experienced. Full-blown theophanies, appearances of angels, and the voice of God himself, visions, the pure intelligence flowing into a receptive mind creating a sudden stroke of ideas. Smith wanted a church full of prophets and revelators as long as they did not usurp his prerogatives. (laughs) And there's the catch. (laughs) Right? This is real interesting how this this uh, tension works. And what they don't tell us is, what causes that tension? I mean, if it's an actual revelation from God, there really shouldn't be any problem, should there? Right? Let's keep looking. Early on in Joseph Smith's own prophetic career, he found it necessary to dampen the enthusiasm for revelations that imitated his own. And then here comes the story of Hiram Page, who began to receive revelations for the church through his own seer stone, which Joseph Smith had encouraged everyone to get. Well Hiram Page did, and sure enough, he looks in this rock, and all of a sudden God starts giving revelations for the church. But they were different from what Joseph Smith had been teaching. So Joseph Smith comes trotting over there and he says, give me that stupid rock. <laughs> takes it away from Hiram Page and he goes, nobody interrupts my revelations. I'm the only one that gets to give revelations for the church. The rest of you guys can have your personal revelations, but nobody listen to anybody else except me, me, me. I'm the one who gives the instruction for the church, right? What Mormonism doesn't want you to think about is this issue that has always puzzled me. <sighs> Let's assume there really is an actual God who is talking through rocks, okay? Uh And he gives Joseph Smith some revelation. You know, send so-and-so off to a mission here and, and make sure that his wife is all by herself so that you can take her into your house and secretly marry her, things like that. And then all of a sudden, let's assume that this God gives revelation to someone else through their rock. Why on earth would God give contradictory revelations if he was the one really giving the revelations? Why are there contradictions and tensions of that sort? That just doesn't make sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? If there really was a God who was actually giving revelations through Joseph Smith's rock, why would he allow someone else to lie or imitate or mimic or contradict what Joseph Smith was doing even though the other person was a charlatan why would God allow him to do that so either way it's a tough issue for early Mormonism and Joseph Smith himself came up with the solution okay I want you all to have all the revelations you want but make sure they conform to mine And notice the assumption here. Joseph Smith grounds his revelations as the objective basis of reality. Nothing else is accurate, just mine. Isn't that remarkable? So the idea here then becomes, we've got to understand, Brigham Young, ten years after Joseph Smith was dead, this is Gibbons on page 81 now, he still affirmed the doctrine of personal revelation in official pronouncements. He said, it's not only the privilege but the duty of every individual to live so that in accordance with the light and the requirements of the gospel to be able to ask and receive revelation from the Almighty at all times and under all circumstances. And yet for millennia, before Mormonism was even a twinkle in God's eye, God was giving revelation and saving people all over the place from all over the world with revelation. So, you notice how this shift to the bureaucracy, you have to live the requirements of the gospel, meaning what the church teaches you. See, it shifted. There's been a shift from the individual to the group here, right? and that was definitely had in by, Joe, by Brigham Young's day but Joseph Smith is the one that instituted that shift after he was so enthusiastic to get everybody receiving their revelations and they did, but their revelations contradicted his so he squelched them. Well, why weren't theirs viewed as the objective from which to base all the rest of the truth? Because Joseph Smith said so. But if they're actual revelations, does Joseph Smith have the right to tamp them down? See, that's kind of that contradictory tension going on, right? Well, now there is a new model for revelation, one that informs Mormon religious culture to the present that has become dominant. And this is where I've been driving to at this point. In attempting to help translate the gold place, for instance, Oliver Cowdery was told you must study it out in your mind and ask me if it's right and then your bosom will burn within you so that you'll know that it's right. These subjective feelings now, rather than the propositional content, rather than angelic visitations and seeing God and Jesus and all that jazz and having God have a nice little afternoon chat with you in the mountains, It's all subjective personal feeling in your heart, right? And now this is the normative model the Latter-day Saints are encouraged to have concerning revelation. Modern Mormon prophets typically counsel that we hear the words of the Lord most often by a feeling. If we are humble and sensitive, the Lord will prompt us through our feelings. Joseph Smith, by contrast, had emphasized an intellectual component as a hedge against emotionalism. Joseph Smith's understanding of revelation is pure intelligence flowing into you, and another scripture he dictated suggests the spirit will manifest itself in your mind and in your heart. The Charisma the constant, ongoing routine of charisma that was had in Joseph Smith has now been changed. He produced in Mormonism giving two consequences. First, as in the New Testament Church, Pentecostal manifestations evident in the founding years, these go down. These taper off. They don't stay as prominent as used and as much experienced as they were at one time. These become less dramatic, they become more private, and they become more subjective. Secondly, smoothly functioning institutional structures and councils who are guided by inspiration, these fill the function of the earlier served smiths charismatic revelations. And this is how Smith set it up. What he did is he intended the revelatory power to pass from himself to the councils of the church and these, of course, were organized in 1834 and 1835. In making these changes, Smith not only shifted the responsibility for revelation from his own person, to the councils but he also moved the locus of Revelation from the individual prophet or person to the church's administrative bureaucracy and that is what we see today it's really interesting that Brigham Young reported no theophanies no actual visitations of angels or God or Jesus in person or voices from heaven and very few visions. But he claimed the same priesthood keys that Joseph Smith had bestowed upon him. And this has been the case, with a few exceptions, in the case of visions for Young's successors. In other words, only Joseph Smith really had the juicy, good, valid revelations. Now it's just subjective feelings. But it's bureaucratically control feelings for all of the individuals as the bureaucracy dictates. You see the subtle shift that has happened here. This is really important to understand historically. Each has proclaimed, each of Joseph Smith's successors have proclaimed the same unceasing access "...that prophets and laity alike have to God's mind and will, to the same right to inspiration to execute one's personal or priestly duty, but the scriptural canon now, ruptured by the Book of Mormon, has settled into relative stability." with a few exceptions the only statements in the post-joseph smith era publicly accorded the status of revelations were ones that stipulated the cessation of a prior practice in other words you know a new revelation comes that were supposed to stop what the old revelation of polygamy said to do and a new revelation came that said oh hey by the way give blacks the priesthood stuff like that but as far as presenting new information new knowledge new understanding of of the cosmos and our relationship to it or anything like that we get nothing it's a complete blank sheet it's just the same old regurgitated pap and pablum now Givens puts this in a much more scholarly manner, but that's what we have, right? So in the life of Mormons generally, and in the conversion process particularly, the assurance of a God dispensing personal revelation is still absolutely fundamental, of course, so long as you're praying about the Church and the doctrines it wants you to know. This is what is so interesting about Gibbon's approach to this is he is filling out some background information on the subtle shift that has occurred within Mormonism that we'll never hear in Sunday school or sacrament meeting. We'll never hear in the two-hour church meetings about this because they don't want you to know this. They want you to think that the same kind of revelation is available for everyone but that's not what's true. What has happened now is the Church has been put between us and God. Salvation is only through the Church now. And as we pray to have a revelation, etc., you're allowed revelation so far as it agrees with what the Church says. Otherwise, it's not a true revelation. Now this is amazing. In so many words, that's what Given says on page eighty-two. Uh this is really interesting. And the consequence of this is because Mormon culture is saturated with the rhetoric of certainty now. In spite of scriptural assertion that mere belief is a gift of equal standing with spiritual knowledge. Now everyone says, I know this church is true. I know Joseph Smith was a true prophet, etc. And so, this, rather than being a revelation of uplifting, inspiring, extra new knowledge, it's simply a confirmation of what we already know as taught through church-approved sources. And that's why they can control what we think, almost what we say and what we do, because they want to keep us, as RFM said in his recent interview with John DeLynn, they want to keep us on the sixth grade level. And they want us to recognize and realize that the sixth grade is as high as you can go. You're there. You're certain now. You've got it all. You've got everything you need. Don't worry about anything else. And so what they have done is they have cut us off from knowledge. And that's the astonishing thing about this. Revelation is supposed to be about receiving more knowledge. And yet the church, a church of revelation, has stopped that. Isn't that remarkably interesting? What a contradiction what a paradox the church that's supposed to enlighten you and give you further light and knowledge and all they don't want you to become smart they don't want you to know all the ins and outs of everything and they don't want you to learn from the source they want to stay relevant so with this bureaucratic control that was actually put in place by Joseph Smith They're going to utilize that to induce feelings of guilt and inferiority in us so that we submit to them in all humility. And when you do, oh, you're praised to high heaven. Oh, you're loyal. Your obedience will bring you blessings. They always talk about these blessings, 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 blessings. What are they? Who knows? Who cares? All they have to do is say that magical word and most people will fall right in line so my view is just go to the source the church was not crucified for me it can't save me it has nothing to do with my exaltation and saving although it loves to say otherwise and they use all the emotional laden words authority and priesthood and angels in God, and God, the wrath of God, and be obedient, be submissive, stay humble and loyal, therefore the Lord can bless you. I mean, it'll give you all of this noise in order to keep you from doing the one simple thing that everyone has the right to do, go to the source. Why let the church teach me when I can go to the source, right? So that's basically what I wanted to show you. I wanted to show you that Terrell Gibbons in Wrestling the Angel is helping show a lot of the interesting nuance that has never before been talked about in the church because of correlation. So there is light available to everyone. Just go to the source, right? That's simple enough eliminate the middleman that's the best way all right you guys thanks for watching my videos have fun do well be good work hard be nice be happy stay in love be loving and i will see you all in the next backyard professor video